And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 235 of PNR's This Old Marketing. Recorded in quarantine, March 77th, or maybe it's Thursday, April 30th, 2020. We're not really quite sure. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the one guy who looks amazing in his quarantine facial hair, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? (laughs) It seems to be continually dropping from the top of my head into my beard. So I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's a look. It's I don't know if it's a good look, but it is it is a look. I, a look nonetheless. A look nonetheless. <laughs> I I do have to tell you though, the best thing about being in quarantine is my office has never looked as good. I've got the setup down perfectly, feeling really good about it. Of course, I've been yeah. spending a lot of time here. So well, I I have mine at home finally just exactly the way I wanted. And of course, as soon as I did that, we decided to, we went to the beach. So we had this little place um, north of LA in a place called Montecito, where we have decided to hole up for uh, for quarantine uh, for the remainder of it. Um, At at least most of it, we'll go head home, you know, at some point, um, because I've got some stuff to do and all that, but but we'll be up here a, a good amount of time. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm on the mobile situation today. Like all my little what I used to carry out with me on the road when I was traveling a lot, but now it now of course has become sort of a second place. So I'm not in my office today. Is that a is that a private beach? Because I saw a news blurb come by that said that California has officially closed their public beaches. That is correct. Um, no. <laughs> What is say, correct they, is that you're at a clo- private clo- beach. Yeah, I was gonna say that they closed it for they closed it for us. Yes, that would be correct. Yeah, the California has basically said, "Oh, the roses are in town. We should close down everything." Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, look, there are no actually here. Fun fact: um, win a bar bet, if you will. There are actually no private beaches in California um, as it stands. So you are allowed to walk on any beach. Um, legally, uh, anywhere. However, yes, they did close down all of the state beaches. Um, so all of the state par- all the beaches that are state parks are closed. Um, some counties, including the one I'm in now, which is Santa Barbara County, the county beaches are open. So they're, it's a little weird, right? So you can be on some beaches, but not others. Um, and if you happen to know which one's a state beach versus what's a county beach, you can be on them. Social distancing, of course, applies and all that stuff. But yeah, so some are open or some are not. Yeah, it seems like uh, California is just starting to bloom uh, with with the virus. At least that's what I'm hearing in Ohio, where, where we've seem- seemingly, which I don't know if I believe it yet, we passed the peak uh, because the numbers continue to go up. So I don't know who's looking at what, but whatever. But it seems like California is getting more news because... Yeah, it's but it's been, I mean, relatively speaking, it's been good news. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously no numbers going up in this particular count is good, but we continue to have very manageable numbers from a hospitalization standpoint yep. and all that stuff. So... You know, I think from a you know from a, from the early action that California took, I think you're seeing the benefits of that. And while you know the number of tests are going up, therefore the number of count is going up, and yes, the number of deaths are also going up at the moment. I think there's a real feel that they have a handle on it, and so you know there is talk here of some lightening of the restrictions, some reopening. You know, they've they've got they've just proposed Governor Newsom just proposed a. Uh, uh, three-step plan, um, which showed uh, the you know the sort of the steps that the 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 state will take, and then of course it'll be up to counties and cities to to you know drag or or lead in this manner. But basically, a three-step plan to say here's what's going to open first, here's what'll open second, here's what'll open third, and you know it's a pretty it's a pretty sane plan, I have to say. If not, you know. You know, it's going to be hard to do it. You know, I mean, one of the things that I think is so 
ridiculous. You know, somebody somebody said it very well on social media where they said, look, you know, opening up states the way they are is basically, you know, having a peeing section in the pool, right? I mean, you know, it's at a certain level, it doesn't matter, right? As soon as it starts to really open up nationally, you know, with a tipping point of states that sort of reopen, the the cat will be out of the bag at that point. It's not, you know, they're not going to close down state borders and all that stuff. So at a certain point, I don't, I don't know where you sort of just throw up your hands and go, all right, well, you know, (laughs) if everybody else is going to reopen, we'll reopen too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in, uh, in Ohio here, governor DeWine, who's, who's seeming, he's done a pretty good job. Uh, especially with this communication, they have their their daily briefings and what they're doing. But there was first first off, he said, "Okay, the offices are back open, but you have to wear a face mask." And then something about the Ohio Department of Health came out and said, "No, you don't have to wear a face mask." And so there are people going into office right now, and you got the ones that want to wear the face mask, but you got other ones that say, "I'm not wearing a face mask." And it's people who want to wear a face mask don't even want to go into into the office then. So you did. It's it's yeah, a real. It's going to get weird. It's a. Yeah, it's it's going to really get weird. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be weird for a while with the whole face mask. Who's wearing a face mask? And quite frankly, you know, the governors and the government haven't done us or themselves any favors by sort of being, you know, back and forth on this. You've seen that meme going around. I'm sure you've seen it. The the one where the woman is giving sort of a fake press oh, conference I've seen from her it. Yeah, kitchen. That was very well done, by the way. I, it is very well done, but it's also very true. You know, it's like, you know, this disease does not affect children, except for those children that it does affect. You know, it, you know, I mean, you know, you should absolutely not wear a face mask in public, except for the public places where you need a face mask. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's so good. It is absolutely yeah, perfection. It, it's just, you know, I mean, it, it, we have not done ourselves any favors, you know, but it's so, this is so quintessentially American, right? I mean, I have a lot of friends in Europe and clients in Europe, and they're calling me up going, what the hell yeah, are you guys exactly. doing? Exactly. Like, what, getting the same what, thing. What are, you, what are you doing? I mean, it, it's like, it's, yeah, well, we're American. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, they think that we are, we've lost touch with reality. The entire country, and they're, they're well. We have in many ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and well, especially when we've got the Tide Pod challenge going on here at the same time. So, <laughs> well, there's that's that. A whole other, <laughs> there's that's that. A whole other thing. So, yeah. Know. Do we have? Uh, yeah. Uh, anything you want to talk about before we get into the into the news here? I don't know. No, I think we. You know, it was. It. You know, I mean, it's it, it's quarantine, so it's been a relatively slow news cycle the past couple of weeks but we have a few things to talk about that'll be a little bit fun i think oh fun i'm glad you do i'll listen absolutely (laughs) (laughs) good what you got hit me with it well let's see well we'll open up with our first segment of the show which of course is always the segment where we introduce something that is of larger scope that we want to talk about and sort of sets the theme for what we'll talk about the rest of the show and this one comes to us courtesy of folio magazine And it opens up by saying Cosmopolitan, meaning the magazine Cosmo, uh, has many platforms, but just one focus, its readers. And the article opens up by saying innovation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different industries. In publishing, the word has typically been tethered to data-driven digital products rather than ideas and ideators. But at Cosmopolitan, innovation is taking on a more complex meaning that factors, among other things, product, people, and philosophy. That is not a great lead, but I am going to continue on with this article. <laughs> Keep drudging through, my yeah. friend. Spearheading that drive toward innovation. I mean, the uh, you know, it's a good... Uh, anyway, uh, basically spearheading the drive toward innovation at Hearst Magazines, it's editor-in-chief Jessica Pels, who was promoted to that role in 2018 after 10 months as the brand's digital director. She was tapped by Chief Content Officer Kate Lewis to accelerate the young women's title into a multi-platform destination geared toward the next generation of readers. The article then goes on to interview... Um, and uh, Jessica, and basically walks through all of the different changes and the way that they're presenting and the way they're differentiating the publication. And there's some really good, really, really good, I think, tidbits in here for those that are thinking about platforms. Now, you 
chose this article, and I, I wonder what is your take on this. What 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 really resonated with you here? Well, first of all, I I think that if you are the content lead for your brand, you need to read this article because I'm I'm what Jessica Pels is doing here and what she's saying. She's saying all the right things, in my opinion. And where where I don't I don't know. I mean, you've been into more companies recently than I have, Robert. And what's often lacking is. You go into an enterprise, and the person that spearheads the reader, whatever the reader communication is, whatever the content platform and the content creation efforts, usually is a marketing title that has their head in on how are we going to make money off of this thing. Which, by the way, is totally fine. I mean, that's you know, that's the marketing side. But what I love about what Jessica here at Cosmos talking about is, all, she says the reader is the boss of the brand which I love and she everything that she's doing is about gaining reader feedback, understanding the readers better and her audience better than anyone else possible. I mean the things that they're doing with making sure they they survey their audience every day. They've got listening posts on social that they're using like crazy um which I I think a lot of brands don't do. I think they take for they do their persona and they sort of leave it and oh that's our persona. I don't think they're they're touching out to their customers every day and figuring out, you know, where are you on this issue? Where are you in this issue? I mean, she she knows where her millennial audience is, where they're, who's staying at home, who's staying with parents. I mean, those types of things is pretty crazy that they're they're coming around with. I also love, of course, the fact that she she believes in this power of print, which I talk about incessantly, and she says that it might be the best time, the best time ever to give your audience a treat in their mailbox. Which <laughs> I just love that whole thing. Go it's fantastic. It is. I mean, and the other and the last thing I want to talk about it cuz I want to get your take too. Is she talked about the importance of flexibility. We've seen that with a lot of brands. I've seen that with CMI which basically after this whole thing with the virus uh, hit, you could see that people were working to change the editorial strategy quickly. So what she's doing for that, she's not working too far ahead in Cosmo to make sure that they're flexible enough to really focus on current events, especially more today than ever before. Because Cosmo's ne- never been a, oh, here's the event that happened yesterday type of thing. It's been a, you know, about your hair and your makeup and style and those types of things, but it's not the day of, but they've had to change their strategy a little bit and add in that flexibility. And the last thing I'll say is they have a chief content officer title and that title was never, ever used until CMI launched that magazine called Chief, Con- Chief Content Officer years ago. I'm just going to throw that out because it's a thing. <laughs> Very nice. And now everybody yes. seems to have a Chief Content Officer. It, yeah, there. I mean, it's. I mean, well, we'll we'll mention it again when we get to the uh, when we get a little bit to the to to the ra- uh, rants and raves later on. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's uh, uh, you know she's definitely saying all of the right things here in terms of the way they're setting strategy. I mean, the thing that is sort of it under, I guess it's underlined here that she never really says it explicitly, but what you can sort of tell is what they think of. And this is, I think, getting to your point about where publications speak to the idea of how do we make money from it first and then what do we write yeah. or how do we distribute it? Um, and in brands, it's a little different. It's, it's, of course, they think form first and then content, right? So the classic of this is where the marketing director runs around and says, hey, we need an email or we need a blog post or we need a white paper or we need an ad or we need an email or whatever it is. We think form first and then we say, great, let's get a form, a tactic. And now we say, how do we fill it full of content? And once we fill it full of content, then we go, great. Now, how do we repurpose this for other channels? And what she's doing seemingly and what is sort of, you know, I think implicit in all of her answers here is the opposite of that is where they say, let's get a great story. Yep. Let's get a great piece of content and then let's figure out what all the different channels should it be. You know, so should it just be a blog post or an article or should we get our crack team of interactive people to make a interactive thing out of it? And I think that's a really important distinction that she makes that helps them sort of create better experiences for their customers, their readers, because um, I certainly can't count myself as one of them. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, just going to be you honest. You and I both, my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
But I think creating that, you know, as she puts it, you know, she believes that the value of a reader's relationship with a brand is joy, delight, and surprise. And I think that surprise is sort of the key one there, which is discovery, which is why she says they don't actually do a reverse chronological order, you know, on the front page of their site. And they make it more of a lean back, sort of a, you know, discovery process rather than sort of a, oh, what's the latest post from Cosmo? So I think it's just a it's just a wonderful way to to think how digital doesn't have to just be a physical or a digital representation of the physical and reverse you know that out the physical doesn't have to be just a physical representation of the digital that you can use each medium for what it's strong for but you have to start with a great story. Correct, and I think the the one issue. <laughs> thank you. Thank, yeah, thank you. Oh, I am. Well, yeah. you, yes, you're right, sir. I loved everything yeah. you said. I think the issue with an article <laughs> like this is, if if a marketer goes ahead and reads this, the the problem is they're going to see, oh, Cosmo has, of course, the print magazine. They've got all these YouTube channels. They launched on TikTok. They're doing tons and tons of stuff. They've got platforms on almost every channel, right? The issue with that is, is that they can do that because they built their core platform print years ago. They built that core audience. And then off of that, they started building these offshoots. And that's where we see the, the best brand launches in the content marketing space do. So I think that if you read this and you don't have that core platform, whether that's a podcast or an email newsletter or whatever that core platform is, you're tempted to say, oh, well, I'm going to. I'm going to shoot this content out to everyone, uh, every channel possible where my audience is at, which I don't think is the right way to go. You could Cosmo can do this, but I don't think normal brands can do it yet unless they build that core platform first and build that loyal audience, and then they can diversify the platform. So I just wanted to throw out that little word of warning there. Yeah, well, it you know what it comes down to is you know if you're a brand of size, you know, or really any brand. What you want to think about is every time you're going to think about a channel or a platform where you're, you know, aggregating audiences, why, right? What What is the purpose? What is the focus of that, right? So one of the things that I took away from the Cosmo thing is everything is about bringing them back into the website, right? <clears throat> Whether they're, you know, they're posting promotional things on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, it's about, you know, building in atomic bits of the content that's going to pull people back to the main platform. And, you know, there are unique elements, unique content pieces that go out to those various channels because they have the size and, like you mentioned, size and scale to be able to do that. But much of it is around building, you know, we have this concept um, with our clients that we call story packages, which is when you're creating content, you know, you think about, you know, doing the sort of measuring twice and cutting once idea, which is starting with a great story and then strategizing for that story, all the different places it's going to live. And then as it goes through its production process to actually think about componentizing it, you know, so that it has all the requisite assets you need for social, for the blog, for the website, for promotion and print for, you know, so that you're designing and creating once, right? Not going back and reinventing the wheel every time. And, with that sort of concept in mind, you can leverage more channels for promoting a piece, yeah. you know, or creating an experience about a piece. You know, like she says, you know, they, <laughs> they, oh boy, she, she, you know, she talked about the article where they're saying, you know, they, they asked the question, where is the G spot? And that's as far as I'm going with that. Um, and she said, you know, they wrote the article and then they discovered that the article was so good that she got a team to actually create the interactive um, you know, experience, the digital experience with the with her designers. And that was so good that they decided to promote it out through all the different social channels. And so taking that kind of mindset with the story first and then all of the channels and platforms that it could live on, one, you know, to have a purpose and focus of promoting back to the owned media channel, but more importantly, the things that are going to uniquely live on the shared channels, I think is such a great point, right? where what you're saying is you've got to start with that purpose, that one sort of platform and start to scale out from there with, you know, with a decided purpose. Well, I, <clears throat> now is a really good time actually for most brands to kill off a lot of their social channels. Yeah, no, exactly right. And exactly because, right. because you're talking about, okay, do I tell my story on this platform 
or do I use it as a distribution option or do I use it as a listening post of some kind where I'm getting reader feedback? It's a really good time to go through that. Obviously, Cosmo's been working like crazy. They're, they're updating their strategy as we go. I would like to see more marketers out there say, you know what, um, what are we doing on Instagram? Why are we even there in the first place? If we don't know why we're there, we probably should shut it down or just use it as a listening tool or something like that and really focus on, generally you have about two social platforms that help distribute a story from another platform. So if you have a podcast, uh, let's say you're using LinkedIn and Twitter to promote that and distribute it to get people to go to the podcast. Think about it in that way instead of just, seems like everyone is almost back. I mean, we did this back in the Ping FM days where we felt we had to be on every (laughs) social channel, right? Oh, there's 92 social channels and we have to spread our (laughs) message out on all those. I almost feel like there's some marketers that are tempted to do that again. And I don't want people to fall in that trap. They can really make a decision not to use Ping a certain FM. channel. Yeah. Ping FM. Ping remember FM. that? I do remember that. I actually played around with that channel for a I little bit. I thought it was bit. the was... greatest thing at one time. Oh, I can you do You get to be a message. DJ? Yeah. yeah. can do one message and boom, it goes out <clears throat> to 100 sites. Fantastic. Yeah. The stupidest idea ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move along here to our next story, which, of course, brings us to our second segment of the show, which, of course, are stories that Joe and I have picked from around the web that we think you may want to listen to, look at, or otherwise pay attention to. Uh, The first one that we'll cover here is from our good friend, uh, Andy Crestadina and the pals over at Orbit Media Studios. Just a fantastic article, sort of in the theme of, you know, things you should look at, um, uh, it's the title of the article is 26 ways to get ready for the rebound, a playbook for what to do right now. And the article opens up by saying in a crisis, our brains do one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. This built in stress response happens in the amygdala, Am- amygdala, 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 How do you pronounce that? amygdala, amygdala. Yeah. 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 She was Within great our in brains. one play. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, now (laughs) within our brains, and it can save us if we get attacked by a pack of wild dogs. I think Andy just wanted to use the word amygdala there. Um, Anyway, the article goes on. It's very long and very useful and very awesome um, through a whole number of very tactical and very wonderful things. You can start doing to your website, your blogs, your strategy right now to start preparing for coming out the other side of this. And it's just a fantastic thing. So maybe we, we, we thought we'd pick a couple of yeah, these that just really a, resonated. Go a couple. Sure. By the way, yeah, go ahead. Andy does have a bigger brain than most. So he's going to show off those fancy words. Whenever yes, that is true. So That is true. Yeah. So we can hate him. That, that is true. Uh, so yeah, which me, ones are these? Yeah. I'll, I'll pick one and then I want to hear yours and then we'll see okay. where we go from there. Uh, yeah. The fourth one in here is uh, about deleting old content. So basically, I love the idea right now of looking at your the content you've created and either making decisions. Hopefully, you have it in your content management system already, tagged to update after a certain period of time or delete after a certain period of time. But go through your old content, specifically your textual content, and go ahead and should you delete some of this stuff? Should you update it? Especially the ones that score very high in search rankings. You're going to want to go through those on a regular basis. So when we, we did this for years, and I'm sure you guys still do it at CMI, where you look at the best performing posts in the, in the blog, and we'll go through and make sure that we regularly update those on an ongoing basis. But the other thing is, and I just did this on my YouTube page. I just went to my YouTube page, and there were videos on there that needed to go frankly like absolutely (laughs) like nobody wants to see me in my you know big tweed jacket talking about we're the e-harmony for content marketing like nobody (laughs) wants wants to see that oh i do no i do i I really do Uh, see damn it yeah so you should really go back and and uh and clean this up so that's the one recommendation that i got right away is go back through your platforms figure out what you need to delete and get rid of and what content you need to update. And then it's also a good time to focus, fix your content management system if you're not alerting somebody that this content needs to be checked on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, mine are, my, my, the ones that stood out to me were sort of, there's a, several in here that have to do with making sure that your website is polished 
and I actually have been doing that for the TCA website. I've been going through and polishing things. We've been working on a couple of little secret projects that are coming up here in the next month or so, um, all of them web-based. And so um, going through and cleaning up, as he says, update your sales pages, update your email calls to action, e- update your web, you know, your Google Analytics and your goals and, and, and all of those. And by the way, he doesn't just say, go do this. He actually gives you the instruction on how to do this. I mean, that's what's so awesome about Andy. Um, and, and I think those, to me, it was, you know, for me, the whole, this whole time is about getting your content house in order. Um, so that, you know, coming out the other side of this, we're sparklier, newer, refreshed messages are refreshed to your exact point that the right content is being surfaced, that old content is gone pruning out, you know, it's just really a time to, to clean out and make sure that you're presenting the best you that you can possibly present. And I think the whole article here just sort of reflects that. And I think it's just uh, fantastic. So it was all the website update stuff that really had me going. Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is really not only all the things that they talk about this, it's this article kind of getting back to basics, cleaning things up, make sure you're ready for that rebound, but almost Putting the larger larger audience aside and say, what's the most profitable customers we have? What's the most profitable audience we have right now? And how do we focus on them and give them maybe a little bit extra? So that's why if you're looking at the content you're creating right now, is it really focused to that most profitable customer? You know, maybe you can um, you know go a little bit deeper with your content niche. Uh, maybe now makes the sense makes is is now the time to do that instead of just focusing on this broader audience it's almost like everything's back to basics i think we need to look at that with our readers as well with our audience as well are we really focusing on the core audience the best audience for us right now and maybe in two years or three years you can widen that a little bit but now's the time we i think we have to give the attention to the audience that really matters for us yeah Exactly. I, it's just so hat tip, huge hat tip to to Andy and his team for putting this together because it's just a fantastic resource. And so, yeah, go look at it. All right. So the next story that we'll cover here um, is an interesting one. Um, I know it's uh, one of your favorites, Joe, um, <laughs> as we look at this. comes to us courtesy of Adweek. Um, and the title of the article or the headline of the article is VaynerX launches Vayner Commerce uh, following acquisition of Lucid Fusion. Company aims to help clients achieve sustainable growth through e-commerce. By the way, big hat tip here to Bethany Johnson, um, our wonderful friend and family of the show who sent this over via Twitter. Um, and uh, the article opens up by saying Gary Vaynerchuk's VaynerX Today, um, does he have any company that's not named after him? I think it's all Vayner. I think it's yeah. Vayner, Vayner. Yeah. yeah. You're so vain. You probably think the song is about you, don't you? <laughs> Gary <laughs> Today announced the launch of Vayner Commerce. Um, following the media parent company's acquisition of e-commerce technology company, Lucid Fusion, uh, Zubin Malau. Malavi, uh, CEO of Lucid Fusion, is since its founding in 2000 will serve as president of Vayner Commerce. The goal of the company will be to provide sustainable growth opportunities for clients through e-commerce. Uh, as uh, uh, Vaynerchuk said, many overfunded direct-to-consumer companies have focused on acquisition-heavy growth strategies and paid media to grow their brands. Uh, basically, uh, Vayner Commerce will focus on growth through the lens of customer lifetime value by integrating the entire funnel across creative, media, technology, and lifecycle marketing. Basically, then goes on to describe this new uh, venture for Gary V and all of his um uh, sort of suite of companies here. But basically, the reason I thought this was interesting and, and sort of picked it was because it is here, you know, we, we often talk about the idea of uh, media brands acquiring product companies. And here is, I think, a really good and interesting example, um, if not maybe expected from somebody like Gary Vee, 
um, acquiring sort of a, you know, a, a media brand, which is now getting into the business of, you know, not dissimilar from what we covered here on when we talked about BuzzFeed yeah. and how they launched the Tasty brand and how they've really started to capture the full, you know, sort of walled garden life cycle of not only are they going to be, you know, sort of offering out links to their products, but are sort of self-containing it, right? So in other words, you can buy the cookware from a recipe that you find on Buzz Media through their e-commerce engine. And of course, they're capturing the full life cycle there and not being dependent upon Amazon or Facebook or anybody else to actually deliver that value to the customer. And I think this is in many ways a reflection of that from a company that is, you know, smaller than uh, than BuzzFeed. And here you have sort of VaynerMedia, which was a and is a media company, really buying an e-commerce company to try and do much the same thing. Execution will be the key here. We'll see if they can actually do it. But I thought it was an interesting piece nonetheless. What do you think? By the way, I, I don't have too much against Gary Vee. I oh I don't either I don't I don't I, either no the, the only no and Gary and he's do, he's done a great job highly successful I mean I used to I, yeah I, really I mean we're you know us two chuckleheads are not here to say oh well, no no you the, know what the, I mean? the, you know? the the thing that I have is and is nothing wrong with it even if you go my my son watches his TikTok stuff and he's got channels all over the place where he spreaded the Gary V gospel the the challenge I have with it is I don't agree with a lot of his advice. Uh, he's, yeah. And he's been so successful. All that advice is going out to people like my son and listening to it. I, I don't think it's always about the hustle. I don't it's think not. you have to be awake 23 hours in a day. And the hour that you're sleeping, you need to dream about hustling. I don't right. think that's, that right. that's a thing. So that's the that's the issue that I have with it. But, you know, God bless him for doing this kind of thing. And we've talked about it. I think it seems like almost every episode, the past four or five, on how... You're, we're going to get hot and heavy with with acquisitions going on. Maybe now, just because a lot of them are going going to be discounted. But I think in eighteen months, twenty four months, you're going to see a bevy of these kinds of things happening both ways. Media companies buying th- buying things like this one, and you, you're going to have it go the opposite way. We're going to have brands buy media companies. Now's the time for everyone listening to this, to this to make your list. This is your wish list. What companies do you feel that you could acquire that would take your organization to the next level? You make the list now. You start building relationships with those people, those companies now, because one thing's clear and we're allowed to do marketing like we were in the past, we'll be able to look at things like uh, like acquisitions and shoot, in 18 to 24 months, we're going to see all kinds of these acquisitions. And I think some people are going to be left out because they're not thinking of it now. So we need to think of it now. I think that's a great point. I think, you know, so if you're on the, I mean, we're even starting to see some of those things now start to happen, um, you know, even as we were entering into this crisis, you know, we covered on this show, Salesforce's acquisition of CMO Club, um, and, uh, you know, and they, I don't know if you just noticed uh, or saw um Two week and a half ago, uh, Brian Solis is now been hired by Salesforce to. I did see that. Yeah, their, congratulations yeah, to so Brian. Yeah. yeah, exactly. To be their evangelist, and so that you know, many people, uh, including myself, by the way, look at that less as a hire than as a very small acquisition. Right. So I mean, it's very you know, it, 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 it very arguable that. Brian Solis is a brand, right? Is a he's certainly a thought leader in the space and 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 an influencer for sure, and and certainly had his own company for many years. And by aqua hiring or hiring or acquiring him, Salesforce has basically brought on Brian's audience into his own, into their own. And I think that's the kind of acquisition that smaller, you know, companies can start to look at. That you know those organizations that have high profile or a sizable audience, but are struggling either to you know survive in this time and or are looking to get out and or have built quite a audience and and are open to the idea of acquisition. It is a it is a big opportunity right now for you know I was just talking with a, a company in a very niche space. 
um, you know, sort of a very niche legal space um, that they do just, you know, the, the, the sort of nichiest of niche you know, sort of legal work. And they were like, you know, how do we actually get a content marketing program going? Um, because, you know, we don't, we're not of size and we don't really have anything going on. Um, and it's a small space. And so, you know, how do we get something going quickly? And I said, well, is there anyone in your space that actually, is a blog or a magazine or, you know, where do people go for information on your stuff? And he said, Oh my gosh, yeah, there's a few, there's a, there's a couple of bloggers out there that have mm-hmm. really good audiences. And I'm like, well, you know, have you thought about it? And he's like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, they hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. So the, it, just to the point of the, you know, the Andy Crescidina article and as well as the opening up with Cosmo, you know, think about it, right? It's it's time to think about acquiring these companies or people because, you know, that will be a differentiator on the other side of this. Well, in the M&A space too, just to, to uh, back what you're saying, there there's a lot of money in the M&A space going on right now to, into buying distressed media assets. It doesn't mean that, that a brand can't do the same thing. <laughs> it's just that this person's going to do it. They're going to probably take them at a depressed value and then either flip them or fix them up and flip them or break them apart or however they want to do it. So, but I think that if you are a brand right now, you have to be thinking about this huge, huge opportunity, especially when, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of companies that are hurting out there. It's not all going to be, you know, Facebook and Amazon and, you know, they're kind of reaping, <laughs> right. reaping the rewards of, of this. Um, but a lot right. of these, especially the trade media, you know, I hate to say it. And I have a lot of friends in that area and it's, it's going to be a struggle for a while. Yeah. It's going to be a struggle for a little while. And, and, and you know, I think, uh, you know, you were saying 18 months, I think it may be closer to, I, I predict, here's a prediction for you. I'll predict the fall and winter of this year, you see a lot of acquisition headlines. You know, you're going to see a lot of sort of consolidation in the tech space. And I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation in the media space um, as well. You know, sort of the end of this year, sort of a rush in the fourth quarter, I think. Is that because a lot of the startup capital is, is drying up and, I th- and people want to yeah. want to want to accelerate their exits? And they might do that through a maybe a acquisition a little bit earlier than they projected. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think the thing to look at is if you go out and look at the sort of, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can see if you look at the funds, you know, when when they when a venture capital, you know, sort of organization starts its fund um, and starts to put money into companies, usually what they do is they they align those in tranches of, you know, sort of when they did it. And what typically, and, I, and again, I'm not a venture capitalist, so you know those out there sort of forgive my sort of layman terms at this, but typically what happens is you look at those in five-year windows, right? So that's when they want to turn their money around. And so when, you, you know, when you've got companies that are coming up into that window, they either need to take on more money or they need to do something, right? Yep. And so, and so, you know, if you look at the end of this year, sort of as a marker of that and say, okay, what's going to happen toward the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, I suspect there are a lot of those companies that took money in the 2015, 2016 timeframe that are going to be looking to do something, right? What did you, what have you done? Have you, you know, are you maintaining growth? Are you you know, creating hockey stick uh, projections like you, you know, you did when you pitched us. No, okay, well, let's look at where we might put you and where we might start to consolidate and private equity companies looking to gobble up stuff before the end of the year and all that kind of stuff is going to happen. So I think you'll start to see a lot of that because, and, and in many respects, because of the, the the crisis that's going on right now. It's going to be, yeah, it, and that's the, that's the big unknown too. It's, it's, we don't know how long this is going to last either, but you're right. The acquisition process starts now, regardless right. of the outcome or when, you know, when the economy turns around or whether this thing's going to be just a recession or a full, an all-out depression. You know, we don't have the answers to that yet, but let's That's get going right. on the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to our last story that we're going to cover quickly here, which is coming courtesy of Digiday. And the headline is here is get while the getting's good. Publishers look to cheap Facebook ads. It <laughs> sounds like a Kentucky fried chicken commercial. Well, my dad used to say that. My dad used to say that back in the day. He'd say, you better get while the getting's good. 
Uh, publishers look to cheap Facebook ads to increase subscriptions. And the article opens up by saying, over the past seven weeks, many publishers have welcomed a coronavirus bump in subscribers as news consumption rises. That bump has been helped along by a significant acceleration in Facebook ad spending. For example, subscriber growth across Condé Nast portfolio is up 100% from the start of March compared to the same period year over year. And 50% of the new subscriptions its titles have accumulated are coming from paid efforts, said a spokesperson. The article goes on to then describe how really paid ads right now on Facebook are cheap, cheap, cheap. Uh, So there is a really good opportunity here to take advantage of paid media. What do you think about this, Mr. Polizzi? Is this is this when we should be putting a little more money into paid and seeing what we can get? If you have a platform that's working and you absolutely are sending out remarkable content on a consistent basis to a specific audience, now is the perfect time to start leveraging paid media specifically in, in Facebook. And by the way, I, I just we just did a very large program with Facebook for promoting the will to die. And I got to tell you, it, it, it was it worked fantastic. But my my favorite part about using Facebook for specifically for paid ads is the you actually get comments from people <laughs> like they'll they'll comment. Most of them are pretty positive. It's like so let's say that you have a really good subscription deal free subscription, free ebook, free book, whatever the case is, they will, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, this is so wonderful. And then you can respond to them and their whole audience sees the whole thing. So you get you get benefits outside of the click with a Facebook. And I've seen it on more, more, this article and many others that the prices have indeed come down. They, by the way, they've come down on Amazon as well. So, and LinkedIn. And, and, and LinkedIn, and yeah, come, absolutely. Yes, they've come down on LinkedIn for sure. So yeah. now is a really good time to put somebody in charge of testing you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money to test in each of these platforms, see what works, see what doesn't, you know, get your, you know, what, what's your cost per subscriber level that you're willing to pay that you see what, what the value is and, and see what you can do. Um, I mean, I'm doing it for some of my personal stuff as well. And I think that if you are a brand right now, I mean, there's, there's no more new shows on Netflix for the most part, for the most right. part. That's I mean, right. They have their... You're, you're going to see a few more releases, but there's not a lot in production right now. So we're going to dry up <laughs> right. at some point. They're looking yeah. for new content. If you have good content, let your audience know about it. That is great. That is exactly right. Great way to put it, too. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> you know, the number of people in my Facebook feed are like, all right, um, I did Ozark. So, so what's now? next? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. By the way, thank you for the Picard recommendation. Oh, my God. I wholeheartedly... I, and this is the weird thing. I'm I'm more of a Star Wars fan than a Star Trek fan, but I love yeah. watching, especially the next generation stuff. That's why I love Picard. Yeah. This might be my favorite Star Trek thing. It like, might be mine, too. Yeah, it might be God, mine, too. It was yeah. so good. Jeez. It was the, the CBS, you know, such, by the way. That's on CBS yeah, All Access. CBS Online Access. Free, yeah, and, free trial and, for a month. Yeah, yeah, where you can binge the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the complex storytelling the adult storytelling, um, the, you know, but okay for kids, you know, there's only yep. a couple of curse words, you know, so it's not too bad. Um, but so it's got enough action, shoot 'em up stuff, but it's got great fan service for Star Trek fans. It's got, you know, I mean, there are so many Easter eggs in there for Star Trek fans and stuff like that, but it, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just go off on a rave and a love fest for Picard. It was just great. Now I can't say the same, for Discovery, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, Discovery sort of ruined it for me in season one. And people tell me I need to go watch season two uh, and the current season, but I, I, I haven't done it yet. So I'll, I'll have I don't to know. Yeah, out. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I haven't watched any of those. I just I took it on your recommendation <clears throat> that you knew what you were talking about. I went with Picard and you came yeah. through for me. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, speaking of coming through for us. We have a lovely sponsor we should probably talk a little bit about. Absolutely. It's hard to believe it is content marketing awards time, Robert. Does, I mean, it, come on, right? Well, and you have to have content marketing awards now because during content marketing world, they, they show off all the big award winners. So now's the time. So go to contentmarketingawards.com. And basically, whatever you're working on, whether it's that podcast, that e-newsletter, that print custom magazine, whether you're an agency or a brand, all the wonderful stuff from strategy to, to social tactics, 
I don't know how many, there was, there's like a hundred categories of stuff that there are winners for. And I'll tell you what, uh, there's nothing better than getting a content marketing award. I actually have never gotten a content marketing award. I would like to I have haven't either. Some, yeah. I haven't I presented either. content marketing awards, but I haven't yeah, gotten Yeah, same them. here. But now is the time you have, have you ever, by, well, have you ever nominated yourself for a content marketing award, my friend? Uh, no, but maybe I will now. Um, yeah, you probably should. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll let me. We'll have to the see. The will to is die. There one for, the, will to is di- there, the will to die. Yeah. Is there one for best fiction novel? There is not an, uh, there is not a category for that. Um, I think there is one for best bald guy with Chewbacca hair. I think there's a category for that. So you could probably enter that one. <laughs> and sadly, there'll be many people that could could qualify for that. <laughs> that award me included of course but yeah sadly that's not an award but there are lots of other no. wonderful awards and uh, the deadline for content marketing awards this year is 529 that's may 29th so you get about a month so yep. make sure you get your, it's, it does take a little bit of work to get these things going but well well worth it so start getting together if you're an agency talk to your clients about the projects that you feel of are of with award caliber the really good stuff out there if your brand same thing there's there's awards for new stuff. There's awards for stuff that's been going on for a while. So contentmarketingawards.com. Get your entries in. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And there will be a content marketing world, whether we end up doing it virtual or hybrid or all physical, it will happen. So just know that it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have... We're looking know, forward no matter to how, it. Yeah, no Absolutely. matter how we do the experience, it will be a wonderful experience. Okay. Well, now, folks, it is time for the empirically proven favorite part of the show, which, of course, is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has makes us feel like uh, we're ready to reopen or something that makes us feel like staying closed down. Um, and let's see, I have a tiny, tiny little commentary and then a wonderful rave and you have i think a rant do you know i have a rant today yes do you want do you want to close out the show i'll with close that? out the show yes okay. i'll, I'll right. do so let me... ranty mcranter and uh, okay we'll do that fantastic well okay so i'm going to start with a um for those of you who are on quibi watch 2020 from our oh, last quibi uh, episode quibi watch hashtag quibi watch 2020 um i just wanted to point you to we'll put it in the show notes of course an article that came out this last week uh in the wall street journal of all places although a couple of other outlets are uh are also um covering it which is quibi's head of brand marketing exits uh, Megan Embrays, who oversaw creative development for Quibi's high-profile ads, by the way, in the article itself, and as she self-described herself as a the head of content marketing uh, for the organization, she reported right to Meg Whitman, and she has now left the company, um, which basically marks a number of the most senior-level executives leaving the organization. Um, so for those of you on Quibi Watch 2020, it is another data point in your sort of watching of to see whether Quibi will actually go down um, as we talked about last week. And that is, you know, Quibi, you know, it's 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 Quibi. Quibi is quibbying along. I think that is uh, we turned it into a verb. <laughs> it's quibbalicious. Gonna, it's quibbalicious. It's, it's quibific is what it is. It's quibific. All right. So now um, my rave. Um, I talked a little bit about this on the other podcast as well. This is just an awesome thing. Um, It comes uh, also, by the way, courtesy of the good friend and family of the show, Bethany Johnson, who sent this over to me. Um, One of the things we actually covered on this show, Joe, was the idea. Do you remember when we talked about uh, homemade simple, not homemade simple, uh, uh, the the B2B home brand um, partnering up with Condé Nast and they shared audiences? Yeah, right. So this is the opposite of that because we talked there about how the idea of companies doing this would probably begin to emerge during this time. And sure enough, here it is. Um, The article we'll link to comes from uh, Modern Retail. And it says, direct-to-consumer brands are partnering up to create communities and save on customer acquisition costs. And so the article, um, which starts by talking about the idea of Staycation by Maud, uh, which is a retail brand, um, which is a wonderful site, by the way, Staycation, just, you know, all of the articles there are really fun and interesting. Um, and another one called Elliot's Virtual Mall, which is another sort of media brand um, with e-commerce laid in. Basically, 
while these things sort of differ in the way that they execute, basically what they're doing is is they're they're taking a media brand that is being funded and contributed to by different retail brand non-competitive retail brands and sort of creating a consumer media experience that lays in a uh, e-commerce um, application to it, sort of building an audience where they can sort of share in that audience for the different things and sort of, you know, a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing where they're building one audience that can benefit all of their companies. And so, you know, more than, and the one of the uh, marketing and product managers for one of the brands there said, look, we could put our money into paid media, but what we're getting here is everybody, you know, the social following of these media brands is so much larger than ours. We're getting the benefit of everybody's following where, you know, where they can sort of cross purchase and cross pollinate each with each other. It's a fantastic example of where non-competitive retailers are coming together to build a content brand that builds an audience and sort of look at it like a virtual shopping mall almost. And I love that model. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting play here to see over the next coming months, you know, maybe years, where a very innovative media brand starts to do this um, and really lay in sort of a new model for the way that they're servicing their clients or more importantly, where a group of, you know, retailers get together and cooperate to create their own, you know, company and maybe to the previous part of our show, go out and acquire somebody. You know, could you get a cooperative of five, 10, a dozen retail companies, small retail companies to go out and buy a fashion magazine or to go out and buy a consumer magazine and basically leverage that and run it as one property and sort of leverage all the brands off the top of it. I just think it's a wonderfully interesting idea for an entrepreneur that may be thinking about doing something like that. It's, it's, it was just a, it's a wonderful article and a wonderful idea. You know, it's, this is not a, a <clears throat> concept and we've talked about this before, but yeah, right. I mean, when I was at Penton Media 20 years ago, we used to do consortiums all the time. You'd get five or six larger contractors together that would want to create a media product or five or six safety companies together that really didn't compete with each other, but, but were cared about the audience and building something. And, and it was easier to go that route instead of everyone putting the money up front for their own thing. And, uh, and then they all reap the, reap the benefits from that. So totally love that concept, especially for smaller brands Yeah, to go into. And by the way, I think we need a part of the show that's dedicated to Quibi every time. If that's a possibility. Fantastic. Let's like just Quibi do watch. It. Yeah. Just Quibi watch to, 2020. Here's, the, yeah, here's what's going on with Quibi today. I think we yep. really need, because, because the, the listeners want to know. The listeners want to know. They're 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 quibitious. They're they're asking the quibbies that we can quibby, and they are looking at being quibific as they quibble around. Although I don't think you have to go that far into the description, but yes, a quibby watch would be fantastic. Uh, I have a rare a rant. rant because yeah, I'm usually a rare rant. I'm a usually so rant. positive. Yeah, exactly. So here's my rant, and. I'm not going to say any specific <clears throat> schools because I don't want to, and I don't think that's fair because I think almost every university is doing this. But for this spring, I had plans to go on tours with my youngest son to go see you know, many universities across this great country to, uh, to see where he wanted to go to, to college. If he wanted to go, where he wants to go, all that good stuff. And we actually went went to Ohio State in January. We got lucky. It was 60 degrees that day, which never happens in Ohio. We got to see Ohio State. He had a bunch of other schools on his list. Well, unfortunately, we're not going and seeing any schools right now. They're not even open. And, uh, you know, we're practicing social distancing and all that kind of stuff. So what are we doing? We're taking virtual tours. Oh, dear. Yes. So we're going on virtual tours, and every university, every major university, everyone we've gone to has a virtual tour. Well, here's what we've learned. We've done five of these things. What we've learned is there is one company that has cornered the market on virtual tours. Every one we went to used the same software. Every one. And you go in, and you have the student that comes out from the left side of the page, and sometimes it's one doing all of it. 
when you go on your virtual tour, sometimes it's, you know, they, they take turns, whatever they're doing. But every experience is exactly the same. So that, I'm just going to leave that right there. There's no differentiation in how people are doing their virtual tours. Well, that's not a problem for me. I mean, it, 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 there's, you know, there's, there's some complexity to doing this and the way they lead you around and the videos and the 360 views and all that stuff. The issue I have with, they are all incredibly boring and you, there's no differentiation. Like when we talked about it after we went through the five schools afterwards, we can't remember what's what because everyone takes pictures of their beautiful buildings. They're all the new buildings that they're taking. There's they're they're saying things, Robert, like we have a million books in our library, and you know, Ab and I are talking like, is that a good thing? Like, <laughs> right? It's exactly. like, why did you decide to go to university here? Because they have a million books. You know, like right. you you're not making a decision on this. It's really really boring stuff for all of them and they are all doing this and i'm and i really don't think they've understood that their audience are 17 and 18 year old kids that don't care anything about what they're saying it's all boring stuff like uh you know our our campus has you know this this unique twenty eight thousand acres yeah, twenty eight thousand <laughs> this unique brick look and here's so, here's a grassy knoll and it's just like <laughs> I wish they would put some differentiation into it. So that's yeah. what I, and this that's the learning for all of us, right? You know, if you're going to create some content, whatever it might be, how are you going to tell a different story? You talk about this every every time, every episode. How are you going to tell your story and how right. are you going to do it in a way that's valuable and differentiated? And I'm just sad at the state of the university virtual tour business when you can't tell five really what I would think are high quality universities apart because they're exactly the same in almost every way there there's a big problem yeah absolutely well you know and by the way i mean i i so feel your pain here but you know there's so many companies out there you know one of the things that we talk about in our in our uh workshop these days is the you're about us page you know what are you actually saying yeah. And the one of the ones that I uh, the examples that I use is a is a coffee shop that I won't repeat the name of, but you've been to it, you know, uh, a million times. Uh, people have been to this coffee shop, and the About Us page basically says, "Who are we? We're the largest, you know, global coffee chain in the world, and we have twenty four million square feet of retail space." It's like, wh- what? What? Why? Why do I care how many million square feet of retail space you have? Yeah, it's like the most ridiculous thing ever, right? It just, you know, it's like the million books thing, right? I Yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, I I really would <clears throat> want you to sit through one of these, Robert, but I, I no, like you I, too I much. No, I shall not. I yeah, can't. I shall not. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. But it's not, it's really, it, it shouldn't be that hard. And I get the whole thing. Somebody says, oh, we need to have a virtual tour. And the company came in and say, this is how you do virtual tours. And they said, right. great, let's get a spokesman or two, or two, a spokesperson or two to do these virtual tours. Great. And they're done. Check the box. Yep. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Especially now. And by the way, it's really weird to watch all these virtual tours with the kids that are hugging and dancing oh have, god i gotta i imagine right exactly. i mean I, I get it right but yeah, yeah they didn't like have time right yeah of course and, and we're like is that the experience you're gonna have in the fall <laughs> i don't think it <laughs> right. is not really not really yeah uh, all right well the, speaking of that I, I would ask you where you're going to be but i know exactly where you're going to be you're going to be home i am um, and what are you going to be working on oh i, t- I talked to you before I'm, we're doing a a new fundraiser for Orange Effect Foundation. It's called the 100 Holes of Golf Marathon. So we're finding 36 crazy people in June that want to uh, do 100 holes in a day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Everything's social distance. Everyone's in their own cart. You don't touch the pins, all that kind of stuff. Everything's outdoors. And uh, I've gotten some really good reaction about it. And uh, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be just one. And, and what's interesting, Robert, is I think people really want to get outside and do something different right now because we've all been quarantined. So I think people are are more apt to to raise money for, for this effort. So that's what I'm I working on. This. So how I about love you? that. 
I love that idea. We are spending some time at the beach. We moved to our little beach house up here in just uh, uh, south of Santa Barbara. And we're I'm quarantining and working and writing and working on client deliverables. I've actually been pretty busy with client work. So, um, yeah, I'm just spending a little time sort of looking at the water and, and doing stuff and doing crazy podcasts. And business as usual for the most part, except for the fact that we're, you know, whenever we go out, we feel like we're going into Thunderdome, right? So, <laughs> That's you know, the truth. You, know, you got some so, people that are, it's, and there's only two camps, right? There's the right. people that are really taking this seriously and they're all buckled down and they've got the mask on and you got the yeah. other people that don't know anything's different. That's right. There's nobody in the middle. It's those two That's camps. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, for our camp, uh, that is it. Um, for episode number 235. Uh, and if you like this episode, number 235, it's hard to believe it's been 235 episodes, uh, won't you subscribe, resubscribe, um, sign up with as many email addresses as you have, basically, um, and get yourself a number of subscriptions here. Get one on Spotify, get one on iTunes, get, just get them all. Hashtag all of the things. Quibby it up. Get it all quibbied. Um, we're going to be publishing twice a month now, uh, for those of you who don't know, and then doing the special episode every now and again when we're feeling hot and heavy or when Joe and I haven't talked in a week and we miss each other. Um, but for now, uh, if you're looking for more Joe Polizzi, of course, you can get that at joepolizzi.com slash newsletter. By the way, last issue, Joe, awesome. Love oh, the last issue. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that was one of my, one of my favorite issues. Yeah, it was really, really good. Uh, and as for me, if you're interested in what's going on, content strategy, content marketing, and all that more business-oriented stuff, that's contentadvisory.net. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, we love them. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. We love all of those things. And of course, thank you so much for hashtagging us up and quibbying us all around the world. Um, and until we meet again on our next show, remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing. <laughs>